And uh, just a couple of reminders this, this morning, it's, it's on the bottom of your questions as well, but just, just remember this weekend, September 15th, this coming Saturday at 6 p.m., bring your favorite Super Bowl food. We're going to have a potluck up here for men, and JR is leading us through this time, and we just want to throw a bunch of men together, and we're going to eat together, and then we're going to move it into the building. We'll actually have a tailgate party outside in the parking lot. Now, with that, men, let me talk to you. All right, it's B-Y-O-B, but that stands for Bible. It's, it's what it stands for. Uh, no alcohol on the church premises, and uh, unless it's communion, and uh, we don't even do that. So uh, with that, we, we uh, just want to remind you, 6 o'clock this coming Saturday, it'll be a great time. You have a chance. Come up here and hang out with us. We'll, we'll bring it inside and have some worship and testimonial message and that type of thing. Like I said, JR's done this for years. We're excited to host it here at the church, and it'll be a great time for all of us. As we jump in this morning, this morning, September 11th of 2018, 17 years ago, something tragic happened to this country, and I just want to um, not just remind you, but, but uh, we always need to be aware this country's at great risk today based upon platforms that are no longer godly. And if we are not one nation under God, we stand at risk. Our boundaries, our borders are all kinds of things that, that we should stand for. Look, not just as Americans, but as Christians. Here's what gets me. If you've been in the military, you took an oath to protect this country against enemies, both foreign and domestic. And so did our senators, by the way, and our congressmen and, and all of those. And we are to protect the Constitution of the United States of America. And so uh, I, I understand America is not perfect, and I understand if you go back a couple hundred years and you go and look at slavery and that, I completely get it, but that's not who we are today. We have walked with the Lord long enough to be delivered, and it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, not to be yoked to a yoke of slavery, Galatians 5.1. So, um, men, just be in, in remembrance, know this, that it's up to us to stand up for who we are and what we believe the values of this country to be. We are free to do that as well, not just a, a uh, socialistic, idealistic viewpoint coming in here demanding that we change. That is not okay. Um, we support and we defend who we are. And I say that this morning in, in lieu of knowing that people have different ideas and different thoughts, but if they're different from me, they're wrong. Um, I'm just kidding, man, okay. So uh, in saying that, though, I do believe that, that we do need to stand up and see what we have and the freedom of speech that we have and uh, the freedom to bear arms. Uh, I appreciate that. And um, I know in other countries where they don't have those freedoms, uh, they're not far from slavery once again, by the way. Um, so in saying that, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we'll jump in here with Colossians. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. I thank you, uh, Lord, that uh, you sent us a wake-up call. I mean, I, Lord, I don't believe that you did 9-11, but I believe that as we peel ourselves away from you, we stand far more vulnerable to the ways of the world. Um, Lord, anything outside of you, outside of your grace, your mercy, and who you are puts us at risk. And so, Father, I just pray that uh, this country would be one nation under one God, and that God is Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I thank you for uh, um, this morning, a great morning of freedom. 
Father, as we teach your word, I pray that your word penetrates our heart and forever transforms us into the image that you created us to be in the short life that we have. In your name, amen. As we jump in, if you go ahead and open your Bibles up this morning, uh, this is going to be real easy for you. We're going to be in Colossians, and we're going to start there with chapter 1, and we're going to start unpacking Colossians, and, and you'll see next week we'll kind of get more and more into manly issues from the book of Colossians. This, this today is going to be just kind of general a little bit. I'll give you some history. Today, this area of Colossae is, is found in Turkey, all right, it's modern-day Turkey, it was a growing city. It manufactured a dark red wood. Some of you may know about it. It's known as Colossinum. It began to decline when they built what I call the interstate between Laodicea and Hierapolis. And so it was kind of like Tulia, you know, when the interstate came in. It just bypassed. And so that's kind of what's going on here. It was destroyed by an earthquake two different times. That's kind of unusual. In 17 A.D. and 60 A.D., by 400 A.D., it no longer existed and was now just basically a small town. And so it's kind of like happy Texas, if you will. So it was mainly Gentile believers with Judaizers following up behind to discount Christianity. Now, let me explain. A Gentile believer would be someone who doesn't come from a Jewish origin. So it could be any, but for the most part, the Gentiles are going to be the ones that uh, would understand Greek gods and that type of thing. Have, most of them had Greek behind them. Um, during this time, and these guys were uh, actually carrying, carrying Christianity, and it was pretty neat. They it, they had kind of come alive with Christianity. They understood um, the importance behind it. But there was also another group that were following this group around, if you will, in the church. Now you can imagine we have this in in our church today, but. This other group, they were known as the Judaizers, and supposedly uh, they were Christians who still maintained to Jewish customs. And the problem with that is they'd say, look, we're under the same God, but you need to uphold these commandments, or you need to uphold these laws more than, more than the commandments. And they created problems. And... Uh, we're creating problems for Paul. So Paul decided, um, actually Epaphras came to, Epaphras is the pastor of this church. And, and as you study your history books, what you'll find out is we believe that he planted this church. He was a church planner. And he would go and visit Paul. Paul at this time is arrested. Um, he's in a house arrest. And so it was during his, I believe it's his first arrest, but but he would come, Epaphras would come and visit with Paul and say, hey, we have these problems in the church and here, here are the problems. So Paul would write to this church. Now basically, this is what we know. The early Gnostics and Judaizers. So the Gnostics would be these Gentiles who were believing, all right? And they were known as Gnostics. And then the Judaizers were, were in this church as well. So these are the two groups that formed that church. The early Gnostics were the people who, who were, they saw themselves as in the know. So they were the spiritual um, aristocracy, if you will. They, they were the ones who, who really believed that, hey, I, I, I came to Christ. I have a testimony. It's a legitimate testimony in Jesus Christ. My, my life has been transformed. However, even we stand at risk in this. Uh, we have Gnostics among us today. You may be one of them. I may be one of them. Uh, you have to be careful because what a Gnostic believed was... <clears throat> After they had walked with Jesus for some time, they realized that, hey, sin still happens. And, and you, let's just be honest here. When sin still happens, 
we start questioning, is my Christianity real? I mean, we start saying, hey, am I, am I really a Christian? How come I keep going back to that? As a matter of fact, the scripture says, why would a dog return to his vomit? And so we see ourselves as going back and returning to that vomit. The things that we say we'll never do again, and we do, we start looking for reasons of why we do what we do. And when this happens, the Gnostics finally put a theology behind it. And they said, well, here's the theology. This is the way God works. My spirit man inside of me is good, but my flesh will always do evil. So if it happens in the flesh, it will not impact my spirit man that is made perfect in Christ Jesus. Now, there's a problem with living that way. Because what's on the inside does not manifest to the outside. I would say it this way. The early Gnostics believed that the soul and body were separate to the extent that you could fail with one and win with the other. Your body, the world, and the things in it are evil. But your soul is what mattered. Your body or vessel could sin, and it didn't impact your soul. Basically, the body is bad, but the soul is good. The Judaizers, on the other hand, the other group. Now, remember, uh, Epaphras is pastoring these people. So you can imagine uh, how he was. I mean, he's sitting here going, man, I got a whacked up church. I mean, how come I can't just pastor over there at the other church? They don't have this kind of, these kind of, anyway, I can get him. The Judaizers believed that there were certain laws you needed to keep in order to be righteous. So they didn't believe necessarily in the gift of righteousness that you would receive when you became a Christian. That you had to still work yourself into a righteous way, into righteous behavior. So they had come in and convinced the believers that unless they obeyed the law and did everything right, they opened the door to the devil and probably would be condemned to hell anyway. So these two camps, just so you know, are still in our midst today. They're still in our midst today. Now, I could not think of anything. Sometimes I wish the Lord would give me a more creative mind. I mean, you read these scholars, and they don't even put names on these camps today. So I went ahead and put names. The first one I called the legalist. Now, you've probably heard of legalist, all right? But the legalist would be the Judaizer among us. You serve an angry God who takes pleasure in punishing those who don't make the mark. There is no margin for error. They believe there is a little room for grace, and usually it's a mixture of covenants. And by the way, jeez, um, I, may, I may add a message and talk about the mixture of covenants tomorrow. It's very, very dangerous. Um, grace and truth, uh, it's actually a singular word. You, you don't need to, you may need to know this. In John, when, when Jesus comes and he brings grace and truth, uh, those two words are one and the same actually in the Greek, and, and the reason they're there and unpacked that way is because he's saying you can't have one without the other. It all goes, goes together. Um, why is that important? Because grace and truth, he's talking, he really starts bringing out the covenants in that. Jesus came to fulfill the law. So, so the law is still there. It's a tutor to point us to Christ. Not trying to get too far off of this, but the legalist will come in and say, but you still have to uphold the law. And, and in turn, what's the problem with that? The problem is there's not the finished work of the cross. All right? And, and so the legalist will convince you that you will never be enough, you'll never do enough, but you need to try. And through your futile attempts, um, it's maybe at best, that you'll make the kingdom of heaven on the other side of the River Jordan. So some of the legalists are, are they're still out there today. We have very legalistic churches, um, and yet there's another problem. The other problem is, I, I couldn't think of a term, so I just called them the gracely. 
Some people call it slippery grace. Or, um, Audie, you've always had a name for it. What do you call it? Yeah, yeah, I used to say it. The great, the, I don't remember either. Seems like some years ago you used to. But anyway, I called it the gracely. This other camp is this. It is often used to excuse sin instead of empower you to overcome sin. And this is the danger. This is what, what basically was happening with the Gnostics. Now, I want you to hear this statement. This is very important. It's used to excuse sin instead of empower you to overcome sin. And that's the danger there. I believe in God's grace. Don't hear me wrong. But, but we have the power to overcome sin. What's a greater witness? To excuse it or overcome it. I mean, there, there's, Jesus died not so that we would continue to sin. He died that we would be able to empower, be empowered to overcome the sin. And those who believe they are Christians um, need to see this. Those of us who are Christians need to, of course, believe in the grace of God, but know that we also have the, the power to overcome sin. Many times the reasons why we don't is because we desire the sin more than we desire Jesus. Or sometimes it's more habitual sin in, in, in a situation like that. You know, there's a lot of Christians that spread a lot of hell around. That's just, that's just you know them, you, and, and I'm sure I've been one at times. In other words, I'm saved and I can live and do what I please because I'm simply saved by grace. And that statement is true. You are saved by the grace of God. But it doesn't give you a permit. It doesn't give you a credit card to live out your sin the way that you want. That's that we, both of these, whether it's the legalist or the gracely, both deny the finished work of the cross. Partial truths contain partial lies. So what was Paul's answer to this? His answer was neither one. I love how he jumps in. So we're going to see this. I'm about to take you verse by verse through this. And you're going to see that he's addressing both of these and how he addresses both of these ideas. So uh, there's a completely different way. Jesus pays it all. And Paul helps the believers realize Christ's supremacy over the devil and all created things. And the theme of this letter is the fruitful and effective power of the gospel message. A message that heralds the supremacy, the headship, and the self-sufficiency of Christ to the church, which is his body. So Paul begins with simple introduction. Two things we see very evident in this first chapter. The finished work of the cross. This is how he's going to deal with the legalist. Hey, it is finished in the in the cross of Christ um, and 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 the the legalist because they were these Judaizers uh, the Jews are Hebrews and by the way that word Hebrew it means to cross over so they would have an understanding of hey the Passover um, some would say the Passover but it means to cross over and you cross over from sin death and darkness over into the promised land if you will so he's going to somewhat address that and then the second thing you'll see here is Christ is in everything and this deals with the Gnostic and the dualistic theology of thinking my soul is one way or my spirit man is one way and my flesh is another way so basically he's trying to say hey what's on the inside should work its way to the outside and that's that's growing up in in Christ so Colossians chapter 1 we'll jump right in now I'm going to be be taking a few breaks in between here just to unpack some things. Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to do 1 through 29. We're going to move quickly. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God 
the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in the heavens and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. So here, um, what is the prerequisite for God, the gospel bearing fruit? It's understanding God's grace. And if I had to define God's grace this morning, we've done this for years, grace is simply God's ability. It's not your ability, it's God's ability. For it is by grace that you have been saved, not of works. It is by God's ability that you have been saved, not of works that any man should boast, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. So uh, as we go on, verse 7, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, remember this is the pastor, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. And what is wisdom? I say this all, what's the difference between wisdom and knowledge? Application. That's right, that's right. So you can have all the knowledge in the world, but it, it becomes wisdom when you're able to apply what you know. All right, so he's saying, hey, look, you've got this wisdom. You should be able to apply this. Now, who is that referring to? That's referring to the Gnostics, men, because the Gnostics are the ones that have knowledge. Remember, they're in the know, and yet at the same time, they are believing that, hey, I can live in my flesh however I want to. The flesh is just evil anyway. So let's keep going. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way bearing fruit and good work, growing in the knowledge of God. In life, the human psyche needs to know it, learn something, or if it was a gift, they live their life worthy of the gift they were given. So in other words, you've got to know something in order to place that into or apply that into action, which is wisdom. And so then we ask ourselves a question, am I living my life worthy of the gift God has given me? When we commit to living worthy, we create a heart that can bear fruit. So he's just unpacking some of this. Verse 11, being strengthened with all our power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. So as we grow in experiential knowledge, you will be strengthened so that you have endurance and patience. And by the way, men, if you hadn't figured this out, you're going to need both of those. You're going to need patience to be a Christian. And you're going to need endurance. So he's saying, hey, look, I want you guys to, you men, to endure. And finally, we get into the finished work of the cross. So a lot of that has to, to uh, be, he's, he's addressing the dualistic theology kind of in a broad spectrum. And now he's about to come in and address the Judaizers. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. In other words, how you were qualified to share in the inheritance was what Jesus has done. For he has rescued us, verse 13, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. It's the finished work of Jesus that delivers us from the dominion of darkness. Darkness has no power over us. Look, I would say it this way, that darkness, the only power that darkness has over us is the power that we allow it to have. 
I had a young woman that wanted me to pray for her the other night, and she was, uh, uh, she said, you know, I'm around so much darkness that it's, it deals with my profession, and I just need to know how to unpack that. And I said, this is how you unpack it. You go to the light, because the light penetrates the darkness. You need a friend. You need others around you that, that are full of God's light to penetrate that, to push it out, to relieve that burden from you. He goes on. Darkness has no power of us. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In other words, Christ is in everything. Of course, we have forgiveness of our sins. We are redeemed from our sins. Verse 15, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. So Jesus is God. He created everything, and by the way, He's in everything. Verse 17, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything He might have the supremacy. So He's making a point here as well that Christ is in everything. Anything that He's created, He is in it, which means He's also in your flesh. Now I know the flesh tends to war against the Spirit. But what we have to do is allow the Spirit, God's Spirit within us, to war against the fleshly desires in us because He can overcome that in us. So let's keep going. Verse 19, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on the earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Now He's, on, he's, he's with the cross here, so there should be peace in us. There is, is peace made. There is a way that we are righteous before him is through the blood of Christ. Verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. So he's talking about behavior here. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through the death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, and do not move from the hope held in, your, in the gospel this is the gospel, let's see, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a servant. Now rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up my flesh to what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. So now he's talking about the flesh and he's saying what? I fill myself up with Christ. I remind myself of what Christ has done for me so that as I fill up it does what to my flesh it fills my flesh up the more I fill up my spirit man the more my flesh is filled up to 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 be recognizable in all that I do in all that he does so for the sake of his body which is the church I've become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the Lord's people to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches, riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now look, Christ is in you, men, and he's the hope of glory. So what's on the outside should manifest to the, or what's on the inside should manifest to that on the outside. So I know that, that the flesh wages war, so does the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. As a matter of fact, Romans 1, Romans 7, 
those are all indicators that Paul understands there's a real struggle going on. But he has to remind himself, and as he does remind himself, that Christ in him is the hope of glory, that he can overcome the sin, not have to accept it, then he becomes a witness, a witness to the church. Christ in you is the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So I'm going to end with this this morning. You know, as a pastor, I've had many people who want me to fit in their camp. And there's two camps going on here. You got the legalist and you got the gracely. And, and both of those uh, types of people wanted the pastor Epaphras to fit in their camp. Hey, wait a second. You believe in the finished work of the cross. If you believe in the finished work of the cross, then guess what? You shouldn't worry about what the flesh does because your spirit man's good. It's the one that was reborn. And on the, on the legalistic side, they're going to say, well, you know the Old Testament. If you know the Old Testament and you know the history and you know the prophets were silent for 400 years and by the time they, they, uh, they start to speak again, John the Baptist breaks onto the field, what happens? Uh, you know, we've got to remember what God did in the past. So there has to be these legal traditions that we've got to uphold. We've got these banquets to go to. We've got these, these things. And, and Jesus made it clear what we are to do, men. There's two things Jesus commanded us to do. And here are those two things. He said, communion. He said, do this in remembrance. He didn't say, please do this. And, and then what else he tells us? He tells us to go and make disciples. Baptizing them. As a matter of fact, um, the traditional church, uh, the Catholic church has, has seven sacraments, marriage being one of them and that type of thing. You can go look at all those. The Lutheran church has four sacraments. The Episcopal church, I believe, has four sacraments. But the Presbyterian, the Baptist, and the Methodist all have two sacraments. And the two sacraments are baptism and communion. For this reason, they're what God commanded us to do. All right? It's, it's very important that, that we do those things. <clears throat> Paul goes on. I mean, everybody wants you to fit in their camp and that some people want you to be legalistic and 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 hold up all the legalistic things in order to work your way into the graces of god but god wants us to know him and to stay with him and remember the finished work of the cross see i think our lack of wisdom oh <laughs> I, I put this in here don't you think I, I had someone ask me don't you think god is punishing america for its sinful nature that's a camp I simply had the opportunity to say, no, I think our lack of wisdom is punishing our country. Um, I mean, that's what Paul's talking about here in Colossians 1. Look, you know, you, you guys need to apply what you know. Um, uh, you are, are, are you Arminian? Are you Wesleyan? Are you Calvin? You've got to be something. You're called to be something, aren't you? Yes, I'm called to follow Jesus and remember the finished work of the cross. That's it. It is easy to fall into a ditch that calls you to do more or a ditch that says do what you want to. I mean, it's probably easier today for our churches to preach on grace than any type of legalistic theology. And, and there is some, some, some legalistic theology that I believe is somewhat relevant for us today because it, within it, it provides discipline. It provides discipline, and we need some discipline in this country. So what I see in Paul is a desire for God's people to understand the finished work of the cross and what is, what is in it should show up in all that we do. 
We are to have complete faith in Christ, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. And just as Christ is the hope of glory in us, he will be evident in all we do as well. So that others will see our good works, is what Jesus says, and give glory to your heavenly Father. If you don't have good works, it's hard for someone to see Christ in you. So, are you in a specific camp today? Do you feel you must do more to please a, an angry God? Are you on the man-made scales that never tip in your favor? Now, that's been me. The treadmill that never gets to your destination. Do you live recklessly, believing you have tomorrow? Do you live in one of these camps, the gracely or the legalistic? It's a great question for us today to pay attention to. Now, as we go to Colossians 2, we'll get into more uh, practical application things. He's just he's laying a foundation here. He's addressing both of these camps in chapter 1 just to say, hey, I know they're out there. This is the struggle in the church. Can you imagine being in that church, by the way? Um, <laughs> geez, it's, it's just constant this. So pay attention to those things, men. We don't need those here. I, I tend to believe in the grace of God, the throne of grace uh, that Paul talks about uh, brings us to a place of righteousness that should lead us to a place in our lives of holiness. And so does the Apostle Paul, by the way. We're going to get there before this book's over. Father God, I thank you for these men. Lord, as we go over these questions, uh, help us to recognize these areas in our own life. Lord, not to condemn ourselves if we do go back to a particular sin or that type of thing. Show us how Christ in us is the hope of glory, how we can overcome that sin in our lives so that it'll be a testimony of your power, of your goodness, and of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.